0: Hi, Evelyn. Hi, Disruptors.
1: Throughout seasons one, two, and three on Practice Disrupted, we have been designing episodes specifically addressing a broad range of diversity, equity, and inclusion conversations, or EDI. We have one more coming up this season, and it is our goal to continue to develop and expand resources related to this topic. You can check out those past episodes in our show notes.
0: Today's guest first joined us on the show in episode 16, where she participated in a shared discussion about the LGBTQIA plus architecture community. You can go back and listen to that episode to hear Giselle's full story, but we've invited her back on the show to do a deep dive into her role as the Director of Justice, Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion at HKS. We're curious to know what it's like to position someone in this type of role within an architecture studio, and what lessons she can share with us for firms to learn about the adoption of leadership in a position of that scale. We're also gonna ask her about some of the challenges she's up against in driving this type of change in her firm. Her role as a director of
1: justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion is an emerging position to staff in an architecture practice. It's also really, if you look historically over larger corporations, is an emerging position into, I would say, business at large. I am really interested in having a conversation about how her role has evolved over time and where she thinks the role is headed in the future. The AIA simultaneously has also made EDI a strategic initiative, and they've just revised their equitable guides for practice. So if you didn't check it out the first time around, it's definitely worth checking out now.
0: I've actually been using the equitable guides in some of my consulting work, and there are a lot of really great hidden resources within that resource that will expand the conversation in a lot of different capacities, but highly recommended, and we'll put the link to that in our show notes. But to jump to Giselle's bio, Giselle Santos Rivera is the medical planner and global director of justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion at HKS. With national and international experience on a broad range of healthcare, sports, residential, institutional, and commercial mixed-use projects, she thrives on designing for inclusive communities, building belonging through equitable practices, and empowering the next generation of leaders in the architecture, design, and construction industry. Giselle is a published author, national speaker, and has been featured on various podcasts and is the founder of We Inspiring Emerging Leaders in Design, or WIELD, which is a part of AIA DC. She's the recipient of the 2019 AIA Diversity Program Recognition Award. And she's a storyteller, as well as a 2015 Christopher Kelly Leadership Development Program Scholar and the recipient of the 2018 AIA Associates Award.
2: Let's cut to the interview. I am the director of justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion at HKS, and I'm in the DC office. I'm also an architect and a medical planner. And I used to do um, healthcare work before taking on my role full-time. That does not preclude me from not doing work or not wanting to do work. Right now, I'm just focused on this work until until we create a, a framework that is truly embedded in all aspects of the organization. And then everybody's accountable for the work and everybody understands their role, their goal setting and the opportunities that they have to make an impact with the organization.
1: When in your HKS career, were you kind of appointed to this role?
2: At the end of 2018, HKS was going through uh, the last portion of a strategic plan with a lot of visioning sessions to really look at what the vision for the next five years was going to be for for the firm. In looking at the vision of the firm, there was a a clear intentionality in wanting to focus on using metrics or frameworks to create a a new value proposition for, for our clients that was more holistic. So encompassing of sustainability and, and other aspects of the work that we were doing. So we chose the UN Global Compact to be the framework that we were going to exist within. And in order to do that, we needed to create an environmental social governance structure to support the UN Global Compact. In order to do that, we needed people to focus on very specific sustainable development goals. And two of the goals for or the SDGs that HKS was interested in, in in putting a stake in the ground, or gender equality and reduced inequities. So that required, or it was well understood that we were doing work already at HKS. We had programs like Better Together that were meant to elevate the conversation over gender equity in the firm. And there was a, a group of champions and conversations that happened somewhat regularly. but. HKS wanted to be intentional in putting somebody in the world to be accountable for achieving those goals. So that's when they they decided that at the end of that strategic plan, they were going to formally establish the ESG umbrella and somebody within that, that umbrella would support sustainability, which at the time and still is our chief sustainability officer. Then they would loop in our... Uh, Citizen HKS work, so our public interest design group, which is our social group, and then our director of EDI, or equity, diversity, and inclusion to support those particular SDGs. So advancing gender equity in the firm and reducing inequality, which is all just equity work, right? doing establishing the frameworks, dismantling the barriers, providing people with access to opportunities. So I, I was asked to join that ESG umbrella Um, March, 2019. Were you volunteered? Did
1: you volunteer? How did, how did that come about? And, you know, where does your passion in all of this really lie?
2: So I think it's a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. I, I have always been interested in this work. I was part of the Better Together Champions Network. I was always very vocal about the kind of content that I thought our firm should deliver and see. I was interested in elevating women in the profession. That's why I had created the, the Wield initiative of women inspiring emerging leaders in design. And I've, I've always been interested in creating platforms for people to engage, um, create spaces for storytelling, for people to share their successes, their challenges. And as the um, equity and the equity by design coined, sort of their pinch points on your challenges in the profession. So because I was already doing that work and I was doing that work through HKS, I gained visibility in the firm around these topics of equity. I, already, I had already created the, the AIADC Latin American Interior Designers Engineers and Architects Committee as well. So I was interested in, in my own identity for Latinx or Hispanic. And I think because of all of those things that were happening and my ability to use my voice to sort of create agency and I had agency over, over the things that I was doing because I was an AIA, I knew the conversations, I knew, I knew what was happening. A lot of the things sort of came together where somebody in the firm knew the work that I was doing was following Weald online and social media, had heard my voice many times within that, this framework of the champions, so I was sort of asked but I think the expectation was that I already wanted this role and I think it's because I had emailed the CEO asking if HKS was considering hiring or elevating somebody to a chief diversity officer because those conversations were sort of already happening. So right. when, when I was asked if I wanted to take on that role, I, It was one of these moments where my initial reaction was, of course, I have to do this. I'm already doing this outside of the firm. I know what it means to feel belonging and not feel belonging in the industry. This is an opportunity for me to elevate my friends, my colleagues, create a space for them, you know, be truly impactful in the industry, even outside of volunteering. Like I could have the resources of a firm to do the work within the firm and in the process, figure out how to do it in a firm. It's like, I was not even close to the corporate structure to understanding enterprise. I had no idea what that looked like, but in my mind, I was like, oh, I did wheels. I did La Idea. I'm on the EQFA, right? The AIA, um, Equity and the Future of Architecture. I've read the Equity by Design survey results. I know what's happening. I have a voice, I could probably do this. I had no idea what I was getting myself into, but I could not imagine doing planning work, like medical planning work, that in my mind is about building um, access to care, health, and well being. I couldn't imagine doing deliverables, project work, sort of external things for clients, and not find ways to embody the work that I was doing for my clients within the firm. I, I've, I've always imagined that those two things have to go hand in hand. I, I think you can't really do the work if you don't embody the work, you don't know the work. It's very much the Jedi thing. Like, how can you best support your community if it's an African-American community, a Hispanic community, if you don't have Hispanic people or African-American people within your team? So it's sort of the same thing. How can I really be a better service to my community if I'm not, if I'm not doing it myself internally in, in the firm. So I, I had to say yes. And then I thought, well, if it doesn't work out, I still am a medical planner. And I'm still an architect. You can go back and, and do these things. But yeah, COVID hit and the murder of George Floyd hit. And I wanted to continue doing work, but I couldn't imagine doing this work that is emotionally taxing. It's about people experiencing with my colleagues what they were going through and not give it 110%, 1,000% to the work. So I thankfully, I, I, I know in that regard, it's, it's, it's a privilege. I, I don't know, at least at the time to ask the firm, can I go full overhead and really just right. focus 100% on this work until we figure out how to do this well and 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 have everybody thrive because in my mind i was thinking covid's going to get worse i'm a little hypochondriac so i was thinking this is going to get worse this pandemic i don't think it's going to be 3 4 5 months i think it's going to be 18 to 24 months because i was reading maybe a little too much literature the black lives matter uh, movement happened and then you know stop asian hate and the AAP. I, I felt like those things were going to be catalyst for this snowball thing that was just gonna keep going. And I wanted to be available and ready to do this work and not fail the firm, my friends, or a client. It was just not gonna happen. Maybe some people can do this, both. They're amazing. I do not have that superpower. So I'm, now I'm 100% on this role and I'm being encouraged To continue doing this full time, because I think now more people know that this is hard and this is not a one-time thing and this actually even needs a team. Uh, We'll see what we get from there.
1: It is a big thing and it is a hard thing. And there are a lot of major companies out there in in tech and retail, you know, adopting these chief diversity officer positions and building teams so so is it something that you think like, is it really ever going to be a framework that you can walk away from? Or, I mean, would that be your, your hope? Or, or is this, now that you're further in it, like, is this something that we're gonna just as an industry, as a profession, have to continuously work on?
2: That's a, that's a great question. And you're making me reflect a lot, even on the first article that was published when I took on the role, I remember one of the last things I said to Architect Magazine and to Wanda was, I hope in 10 years, my role does not exist. And my hope is still the same because I would hope that we all do this, that this is, this is a part of who we are. This is a part of our business proposition. This is a part of how we partner, how we work. I would hope, my hope is still the same. The fact of not having somebody dedicated to this role, I don't know if I see that changing in the next 20 years, which is when I may retire, not even. Um, I I don't see that happening because I don't think I don't think it is that people will not own this work, it is that it is work. It, is, it requires somebody to take ownership of creating content, of looking at the information, understanding what that information means for an organization so that it stays um, resilient and equitable and diverse and inclusive. It, is, it will always take um, people to do learning around this topic. It will always require us to to look at our data, um, to look at how we're partnering, and particularly for design firms, to look at our output. Is it really representative of our communities? Is it really creating um, the impact that we wanted to to have instead of the intentionality behind it? So I think infrastructure-wise, as an enterprise role, much like process or sustainability, I think it needs somebody to consistently lead the strategy around the work. I think it, embedding the language, the intentionality, I would hope that it is spread across. But for example, I, I I create programming that I'm very passionate about and I need a program manager to help me put the content together. We have the Limitless series um, at HKS that Evelyn was a part of recently, thank you very much. That's an external facing program. And the intent around that program is to elevate Jedi topics in the built environment through complex conversations that are not only isolated to to the work that we do, but it pulls people in. Um, We have to create a narrative around it, much like all of these things that we're doing, because the goal is to continuously educate and and not only um, influence our firm, by you know, expert speakers like, like you, of course, but also influence our clients and, and learn from our clients and what it is that they are seeking, how do we can better support them on the work that they're doing because they have these initiatives too. So I think, I think we need people to focus on this and be strategic. We, we will still need reporting structures. We will, we will still need report cards, initiatives. We still need all of that to keep the culture going because it is about building culture. I'm
0: curious now with having this experience over the past year plus, um, how has your journey further evolved? Like where where are you now that's different than where you were when you started?
2: I am significantly more bold and fearless than I imagined I would be. I operate a lot on, on experience. I think that is also part of the people person in me, try to understand experiences. And I, and I use this all the time and maybe it's because HKS, we use Gallup strengths a lot. So my my top five, in my top five, there's context and empathy. The other ones which are higher than that are restorative achiever and activator. So I'm like doer, doer, influence, um, a little bit of context strategy and then I feel. So I, I wanna do things that have an, an emotive outcome, like a feel for things. It's very hard for me not to think about everything and how people are gonna feel about it. Like architecture, the way that I talk about architecture, architecture is the backdrop of people's lives. You're responsible for how people view and frame themselves. And Strangely enough, I don't wanna give him that much credit. But something that impacted me a whole lot when I did my summer program at, in, in Mexico, the University of La UNAM, the, the Autonomous University of Mexico, we went to Barragan's house, which I, as an architect, his architecture is beautiful. He, and I don't know why this is the one thing that, remind, that I remember most. His, in his house, when you go into his house, his, his dinner table, his dining table is up against the wall. It's a long, it's a pretty large table, but it doesn't have two head, two head chairs, only has one. The back of the chair, the wall on the back of the chair is painted gold, and Barragan was the only person that could sit at the head of the table, so he wanted all his, all the people in his in his dinner party, to when they look at him, they would see the glow behind him, and I thought that was ridiculous. But hey, who am I to judge? Um, you do you, Barragan. But I thought. This is experiential. Like everything is experiential. Every piece of furniture, every wall, every color. He had, I remember, he had cut, he had a shag shag rug and carpeting all over the house. He cut a path from place to place. And the people that cleaned his house could only walk on that path. Not the rest of the shag carpeting. It was just through that path. And that was so formative for me. I was like, oh, my God, the kind of impact that a single person can have on somebody else's perception of anything, how they traverse their day, how they engage in a conversation with this person was just so fascinating that I thought architecture is so powerful. If you really think about all of the components and how people interact and I'm confident. Well, I don't want to say confidence. I'm not confident about most anything, but I can imagine that most of us through COVID, now that we are experiencing all of these things in the confines of your home, we are looking at space differently. When we want to gather, like, where are we going to go? Are we going to go outside? Is it open? Is it closed? There's so much that we could affect in the work that we do. And I wanted to sort of be part of that. So I feel now that that I have more fearlessness in articulating, that I have more, I feel more empowered about the work and the outcome of the work than I ever did before. I I also reflect on that. I, I did almost every building type from the oil minister's villa, in Riyadh, um, the Richmond County Jail, which I'll i will be honest, I struggle with having worked on that project, but I learned a lot about that project. Um, I did the chiller plant, but I also did um, beautiful Class A office buildings and beautiful, um, I even did a mall and multi residential and hospitals. I've done all of this stuff. And the reason I wanted to do healthcare is because I wanted to impact how people live their lives, how they heal, how they thrive, how they do all of these things. And after this year of trying to reconcile with dealing with people and thinking about architecture because that's my backdrop, like that's, that's I'm also an architect. Reconciling those two things together and then creating a narrative that empowered me to feel confident and know I can do this work Because I'm an architect, which is different than somebody that was doing this work um, that grew up sort of doing this work, organizational development or HR. I feel empowered to do this work in architecture because people strategy is business strategy because architecture is about people because all of these things are, are together. I think today I am in a place where I can, I feel more confident in saying, This has to be an integral part in how we talk about architecture, how we talked about the built environment, how we talk about what we're doing. If we're really going to affect people's lives, because we are either intentionally or unintentionally, then we have to think about all the people that are doing the work, how they're doing the work, why they're doing the work, and we have to empower them every day. And I didn't know how to articulate that two years ago. And I didn't know what that meant organizationally. I didn't know that I was gonna to want to ask for help. No, I I didn't I didn't know that I was gonna also recognize a bunch of my weaknesses. I'm good at doing stuff and I'm kinda of strategic. I'm actually my Gallup strength, my last one, 34th, is strategy. So I'm learning that. But I, I have a hard time asking people to do things in a volunteer capacity. And this work is all volunteer work. So I'm also learning about my weaknesses that maybe having too much empathy and too much vulnerability also makes people feel less empowered because I, I make it really fluffy. I don't know how else to say it. Like, well, this is volunteer time and you're a BIPOC person and you also have a lot of work to do. And I know you care. I don't really wanna ask you To then put time and energy, five hours to do a panel or to do a presentation or to talk about Black History Month or Hispanic Heritage Month, it makes me, uh, I I, I struggle, I struggle with where to put that. But now I recognize, well, I need somebody to help me reconcile all of these things and manage the work and, uh, and, and tell people, no, this is an integral part of your business. Whether you like it or not. It already is, even if you're not articulating it, even if you're not implementing it, by not doing it, it's affecting your business. Um, Yeah, I'm sure you're losing talent. I'm sure you're maybe gaining talent. All of these things, they're happening whether whether you have somebody looking or not. Um, So I think I feel today that I'm clearer on why I'm doing this work, because I love this work and because I love people and I love architecture. And I, I can articulate it. And I have two years of trial and error, because that's how I operate. I just try something. And if it fails, I'll try another thing. And I just keep trying and I'll sleep when someday, I don't know.
1: Let's take a break from this conversation to talk about our sponsor of this episode, Monograph. We're proud to partner with Monograph because they are helping to transform the practice of architecture, one design studio at a time.
0: Tired of using dated and clunky software to manage your firm? Or do you feel frustrated wrangling all of your spreadsheets to get a clear view of where your project stands today? Monograph is here to help.
1: Designed by architects for architects, Monograph allows you to track your time, your projects, and your budgets in real time. With their awesome gant, you can immediately understand project performance across your entire firm portfolio.
0: Need to adjust your projects week to week? Their new tool, Resource, allows you to reallocate your team's time and track its impact on your remaining budget.
1: Be proactive with Monograph. So throughout this conversation, we acknowledge that, like, well, obviously change, change for change's sake is hard. But so much of what I see firms need to change around EDI is is really making a true cultural change in the firm. And that's even harder, right? To have it built into the culture. So is this something now that you're two years in, that that we can really change in a single generation? Or is it going to are we going to have to age out of this for the culture to really evolve?
2: Uh, the first thing that comes to mind is, well, we, I think whether HKS or industry wise, I think we have to really understand what culture we have, what culture um, we enable and what culture we really want to have. And that varies Um, and I look at it through my lens. So that's a little complicated, right? I think, oh, a timeline. I think if people are really willing to be open and vulnerable and welcome this challenge, which is change and and understand how hard it is to change and really be reflective of the behaviors that that we have as a culture. I think we could, I think we could, but I think I think it takes a lot of education and a lot of self awareness. And not um, this is going to be a blanket statement. I don't I don't know if this is true or not, but it seems like corporate America or corporate frameworks weren't necessarily created to provide frameworks to talk about behaviors and culture and impact in that way. right? We talk about money, we talk about efficiency, maybe not even. We talk about productivity, and we talk about profit, and we talk about these things. We don't even talk about efficiency. We don't talk about, we we talk about utilization rates. We don't talk about um, efficacy. Like we inherently the language that we have perpetuates outcomes that we have. Like we are where we are by design. That's why if we really wanna create something then you have to create a framework that is equitable by design. Uh, The organization by design needs to be very clear on what culture wants to have, articulate what culture the behaviors that it, that, that culture should exhibit, uh, make people accountable for those behaviors so the impact, and then really look at the conclusions that we all have and our biases that create that are created by those conclusions to then change the behavior. If we're willing to have the hard conversations about the conclusions that we already have, then I ch- I, we could totally change. We could absolutely change tomorrow. But then do we really want to have the, the, the conversation about your conclusion? And I was I was part of the um, Open Architectural Collaborative Pathways to Inclusion. And I love the presentation on the four box model for conclusion. And I love when, when they started talking about conclusions. Some conclusions are good and some conclusions are bad. Like you look at green. You're like, oh, go, you look at red, that means stop. We don't have to talk about that. Culturally in the US, most people acknowledge that green is a good thing and it's a go and and red is a bad thing and means stop. Not all the time, but that's sort of a conclusion that somebody says that and you kind of um, know most of what they're talking about. Then there's the conclusions that um, old people drive slow. That has some implications, some of it has, you know, there's grains of truth and all of these things, but then there are conclusions, like we can't teach critical race theory because it does X, Y, Z that are harmful. If we're willing to really have the conversations about what are the conclusions that you come, that you show up with when, you, when you're at the table, then, then we can have the conversation about why your behavior is, enabling that conclusion. And then I will react to your behavior with my own behavior. And it's that that positive feedback loop and positive, not in the good or bad sense, but in the positive feedback loop of it is a continuous uh, incremental um, movement. I think if we're really comfortable, if we get to a place where we're comfortable or we're challenging those conclusions, or even asking about that conclusion instead of reacting to the behavior, we could totally change. But I don't know if we're in a place, I don't know if the entire industry is at a place where we're all willing to challenge those conclusions.
0: I don't think so because back to your comment about priorities, like the thing that I keep observing is just everybody's priorities are different. And so that makes it really hard in these conversations of change, like, if 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 we're segmented on priorities, it's really hard to take steps forward. It makes the progress slower. And that is visible in so many ways. And I'm not going to um, – I think it's obvious, like, you know, there's so many examples of that in the world. I guess maybe if we think about it at an incremental level, though, you know you, you've been given this great opportunity to step into HKS and bring visibility where it otherwise can sometimes be invisible how do you see that you've been able to add value to the culture at HKS through your role and how would other firms benefit by having someone in a role similar to
2: like what you're doing i think the the greatest advantage that i have is that I have a CEO that was integral to the decision to create this position and is continually telling me keep going. And he absorbs a lot of the pushback that I don't receive. I don't know if people are scared of me. I don't know what's going on there, but uh, which maybe it's not that bad. I don't know, but he, he absorbs a lot of that negativity and he enables me to continue pushing um and it gives me a ton of agency to do that because i'm dedicated to this work i feel like it is my responsibility to constantly keep an eye out in in what we're doing to transform to enable to create change and 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 I'm also accountable then to be an integral part in creating the culture that I feel is best representative of creating a more just, equitable, inclusive and diverse world, which we have said organizationally is one of our key commitments. I feel compelled all the time to be mindful that I am part of the UN Global Compact structure and I am accountable for those two SDGs Um, I say all that because I have a very clear outcome out of my work. I I have to meet goals. I have to um, support creating the culture that we want to see. Um, I, I should be part of the responsibility to recruit and hire. Um, I was part of, you know. I, I know the commitments that we've made. We've made a commitment to increase diversity in our board. We've made a commitment to increase diversity in leadership. We've made all of these commitments, and I am accountable, not necessarily for the outcome, but I am. I feel like I'm accountable for making everybody else in the firm accountable for this work, uh, and I'm accountable for the strategy of how we're going to do it, even when I don't know how to do it. I'm accountable for pulling in the right people. I'm accountable for for delivering the message. I'm accountable for creating the message and pulling everybody in in that is an expert in those things and, and try to be the strategy. So I partner with marketing a lot because of external content, internal content they also support all of our projects and our teams, creating collateral. We partner a lot. I don't have the expertise that they have. So I'm, I'm kind of an integral part in all of that. I think firms, I, I have a, uh, I'm always being very mindful of asking a firm to take on more overhead so that I don't want people to, in any organization to feel like you know, they, they have to risk something to do this work the risk is not doing the work. You do it however your organization needs to do it in order to thrive. If you need to make several people in the organization accountable for the outcome of this work, then establish that. Marketing will have, I don't know, X percent of time has to be dedicated to Jedi. Process has to do that. Your financial group has to do that. Your promotions committee has to do that. Um, But then make the organization or a group accountable for the outcome. Talk about the goal, establish the goal, make them accountable, track that progress and make it transparent. If that looks like a person like me, then fantastic. If that looks like a group of people, fantastic. If that looks like a consultant, fantastic. However, it works for you to build a framework that you can consistently take from year to year where you can see growth, where you can see progress, that's what is most important to me. People need to understand, you know, where they are at and what help they need, and then start from there. It may start with a ton of lunch and learns. Uh, listen to these podcasts. <laughs> go to go to organizations that are delivering content, and and do lunch and learns that. Are not necessarily required, but everybody's sort of expected to be in these conversations, ask the questions, do the surveys, poll the office. I'm sure that every firm and organization has people that want to do this work. Enable them, give them hours, establish a budget, um, create employee resource groups. You don't have to start big. We already had an infrastructure, uh, we had been doing Sustainability work is very similar to this work, um, like I don't even know, more than two decades ago. We, were all, we already had a lot of this sort of embedded in what we were doing. Nope, this is one firm. Firms have many different ways of doing it. I do think though, that if you look at what's happening out there, large firms and not so large firms are dedicating roles to this. And if it's, if anything mirrors my experience, this is hard work, you need somebody to do it. And you can't do it half time. you just can't because it's emotionally taxing. Definitely. With
0: all the movement that is
1: happening now in the profession, if I am a young person who is just not seeing a way forward in my firm, what's your recommendation to them? And frankly, If I'm being honest, I would probably say go look somewhere else because there are firms that are beginning to do this work.
2: Yes, my question was going to be, I was going to sort of of throw it back: is you know what, if you feel like you don't have an opportunity to succeed, and there's not a framework for you to succeed, find a framework that helps you succeed, and that may mean you have to go to another firm to do that—a firm that supports you, a, a firm that mentors you, a firm that sponsors you. It's like relationships. To me, firms are like relationships. It's still about people. If you, if you find a partner that supports you, that, that enables you, that helps you grow, you will grow too and that relationship is gonna grow. If you're in a relationship with you're doing 90% and that person's doing 10%, you know you gotta go. So the firm, to me, a firm is the same Any organization is the same. If you've reached a point where you don't have a lot of agency, where you don't have a lot of power, where you don't have a lot of opportunity to affect change, and the consequence of that is that you're not even unable to grow, then you have, you have to seek other opportunities or push for a framework that would will, that will allow you to thrive. And that means many different things. Ask Ask to be part of, the Christopher Kelly Leadership Development Program, which is pivotal for me. Ask to be part of a professional development group, like a women's empowerment group, or um, ask to have time to be part of NOMA and build your community. For me, I didn't find my path to leadership asking for it in the firm. I found my community and my mentors and my peers through the AIA, the National Associates Committee, the Christopher Kill Leadership Development Program. And ultimately I ended up on the AIA board because of all of these things. And it wasn't my firms, it wasn't any of the firms going, oh, I think you're phenomenal. You're gonna be the next leader. I'm gonna do all of these things for you to succeed. And I was going, oh, I need to find my community. I need to find my people. Where are they? And I'll tell you, my my biggest mentors have been the National Associate Committee peers. And they're all like 10 years younger than me because I showed up late to the game. The Ryan Gans, the Corey Whites, Janines of the world. They're all sort of younger than me, but because of that experience, I, I, I learned from them, I, I grew from that experience and then my growth, my agency, my opportunity to fail over there then turned into successes for my firm. So sometimes I think there's so many ways to tackle this. What is the sense of urgency? Like, are you done and get out? Do you have time and energy to devote to finding a different path that gets you to succeed? Do you have power and agency to create a different framework for others to succeed that will enable you to succeed? Um, Are you the one that should be doing this for other people? So there's many ways to answer that question.
0: Hi, Disruptors. Thanks for tuning in to Season 7 of Practice Disrupted. We're taking some time off in July, but we'll return with a new season starting in August. During our break, we'll play past episodes from our equity, diversity, and inclusion playlist. Or you can revisit past episodes from our archives over on practiceofarchitecture.com. If you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It really helps us out. We also wanna say thank you again to our season six sponsor, Autodesk. We'll be back after the break with new content and new ideas.